There's this bumper sticker that I haven't seen since moving here, but it's kind of ubiquitous in the South. It's what, it says this, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. God settles it, I believe it, that settles it. In other words, the Bible is the word of God that a, a, this person reads literally at face value. My response uh, is also another sort of southern uh, saying, you sweet, sweet summer child. It would be good for Christianity if all of us could actually get beyond the sort of knee-jerk argument closing go-to that we take the Bible literally, because no one does, not one. Whenever I see that bumper sticker on the back of some car, I think, you know how I know you don't take the Bible literally? Direct quote from the mouth of Christ, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. What are you doing with a car to stick that bumper sticker on uh, in the first place? And this passage from Mark is actually my favorite when considering a hypothetical world that absolutely took the Bible literally. The things that Jesus says today. Well, I mean, can you imagine? Jim shows up one day missing an arm. What happened, man? Oh, I stole something with it, so just had to go. Oh, yeah, of course. How very pious of you. (laughs) Sam, I noticed you uh, plucked out both of your eyes. Yeah, I was spending all my time angrily scrolling social media instead of doing good work, so they had to go. God said it. I believe it. Absolutely. (laughs) This is not actually just an example of how absurd it is to say that the only way to read the Bible is literally. For us Episcopalians, maybe something a little better to consider would be that this is actually a really good example of the utter absurdity of saying that Jesus was primarily a good moral teacher. People who follow this advice from our gospel today are not moral people. They are insane. If you followed this advice, I think it's very debatable that you would become a better person, but I do think it's not debatable that you would be institutionalized for your own safety. So, what do we do with this? People who want to follow Jesus, who are not looking for extended time in a straitjacket, who do believe, actually, that the Bible is the word of the Lord passed down to us for instruction and edification. Well, do you remember how this story started? Uh, Well, continuing from last week, we're fresh off the disciples arguing about who among them is the greatest. You remember, right? The rivalry continues today. John comes up now to Jesus and says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we stopped him because he's not one of us. Now, It strikes me when I read this that this impulse of John's could actually have come from good intentions. John's a careful reader of Scripture. Twelve disciples, twelve tribes of Israel, these are the promised instruments through which the world will be redeemed. He knows this. you got to think that John is taking his Scripture literally here and seeing a problem with deviating from it. 
But somewhere in that mix, too, is also just like baseline human behavior. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Here is John, 2,000 years ago, with a mouth full of how our world works, isn't it? Assert your authority, jockey for control, corner the market, create a monopoly, copyright your material, sue anyone who infringes. Jesus stops him right there. No. You lose the kingdom of God just as soon as you think you can control it, fence it off, establish rights. Not only that, there are more people working for it than your little mind can possibly imagine. If you are not working against me, you are for me. This is radically good news. This is the stuff that Episcopalians like to hear. If you're not against God, you're with him. Know it or not. person who gives a cup of water to the thirsty, right? Jews, Christians, Muslims, pagans, agnostics, atheists, all it takes is giving a cup of water and you are within the boundary. This is our jam, Right? But then Jesus takes that frightening turn. He says, by the way, you think you're in it? Careful. It'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the sea than for you to cause another to stumble. Chop off those arms if you're using them to build fences that keep others out. These sins are more painful in the long run than amputation. This is so often the way of Jesus, isn't it? We hear some impossibly good news about the world, that God's plans are overflowing with goodness. They're just rushing out all over the world to unimaginable sorts of people, and all you have to do is let it rush over through you to not impede the stream of what's coming. But then the next second, Jesus says something equally shocking to our senses. That we have been so trained in the ways of the world that we don't know how not to impede it anymore, even when we try. Just when we start patting ourselves on the back for being loving, open, accepting Episcopalians is when we stop noticing that our luxuriously stretched out legs are the very things tripping up others in the aisle. I like that about Jesus, actually. He doesn't fit on a bumper sticker or in an ad campaign. And when you find him there, you know right away it's not him. Just as soon as you find yourself dozing comfortably in a world of pain and despair, he shakes you awake to your alarming complicity in it. And when you do practice opening your eyes, as I know so many of you do, Just as soon as you find yourself overrun with that same pain and despair and overwhelming need bearing down on you now, he says, look around. The kingdom is as near as your own skin. The presence of God as close as your own neighbor. 
There are more people for me than you can know. Amen.